0: Well, howdy, partner. How's it going? Oh, we're doing this bit again. Are we just repeating all our bits?
1: I don't know what you're talking about there, buddy. Red Dead Redemption. Oh, yeah, we already did this in- intro, didn't we? yee Darn. Ding. Ding. That was a, a tune. Do you know what that is?
0: I do.
1: Okay. I've seen some John sure. Wayne uh, old westerns really what's your favorite john wayne um john wayne himself oh okay i kind of set myself up for that one moving on um we just got off the phone with a pretty cool guest
0: He was pretty cool
1: his name was can you sound a little bit more excited about that sir
0: it was really cool
1: okay yeah we'll work on it his name is Ryan Schmidt. He's the G League Raptors 905 uh, assistant coach, but he's also the assistant coach for the CEBL, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the Honey Badgers. Talk about a cool name. Yeah, and it's a new league, which is pretty
0: cool because like, I honestly had no idea what it was, and he explained it really well because that helped because, like I said, I had no idea what it was. so
1: You had no idea and that helped, and that helped because you had no idea. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought his his story of how he started off, he was playing, obviously, um, with the D League at the time, a brief stint, um, but it really helped him develop his mind to shift towards the coaching style and player development style uh, that he brings to the table now with both of those teams. And it, it was just interesting to hear all of his perspectives because, I mean, he is playing in a different country, albeit it's still in the NBA, but he's also, for the G League, which is part of the NBA, Um, but he's also with the CEBL, which, like you said, is completely new.
0: Yeah, and he has some pretty cool stories just about his journey and everything like that, so it it was a lot of fun to to interview him.
1: Absolutely. Um, Before we get into the episode and the saxophone part that comes before, um, Nick, I do have a question for you.
0: Yes, sir. What is it?
1: So, let's say if all the mascots in the NBA... They partook in a Hunger Games of sort. Which do you think would be the last mascot standing? And I'll make it easier for you. You can do one in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference.
0: Okay, um, let me think really quick. Who's
1: off the table immediately?
0: Um, Probably like a Hornet or something like that.
1: Yeah, Hornet is definitely off. How about a Celtic?
0: But I also like. Are we playing into the fact that some of these animals are extinct?
1: If these animals are alive,
0: okay, that that does make a difference. Um, I don't know. It, it's tough because like some of these aren't really animals, like Long Island Nets. Uh, like, but then you Did have you
1: like say Long Island
0: Nets. Yeah, that's the, that's the G League team. I
1: said NBA, bro.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. NBA. Okay. Um. Yeah. Prob- probably the Raptor would be the winner for the East.
1: Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. What well, about a,
0: 76? 76. Are we thinking just like uh, uh like a rifleman?
1: I'm pretty sure that's like that's like Paul Revere.
0: Would it be Paul Revere? Or or it be the, the Liberty Bell. Would a Raptor Ooh, be battling maybe. a bell? And is that how it got the crack in it?
1: Wow, we, wow, I, I think, I think we're going somewhere with this, okay, okay, we'll go to the Westerner Conference, since Raptors are winner in the East, or Bell, depending on which side of the fence you're on, um, I think,
0: awesome. today, I, it's funny we talk about this, today at work, we, we talked about what exactly a Laker and a Clipper is, and they're both types of ships, so are we going to think about that, like, a ship battling a ship? Ooh, like a naval battle of sorts. Like battleship, like the game,
1: like G4, you know? Right. I'm just thinking out loud here, but what if a warrior in the Bay Area, perhaps, sent a rocket from Houston to these two ships?
0: Interesting, interesting. I think the rocket would probably destroy the ships. But the warrior would have nothing to do. It would just be the rocket itself.
1: That's true. But the rocket was commanded by the warrior. And the warrior was commanded by the king in Sacramento.
0: Ooh. Or was the rocket commanded by Hardin himself? Or was the rocket commanded by a pelican? Or... Was the rocket commanded by John Wall? Or is that how the Liberty Bell got a chip in it because of the rocket? Did they go to war once before?
1: (laughs) The rocket was sending Westbrook to the Wizards, but it ran out of gas and hit the Philadelphia Bell, the Liberty Bell, gave it a crack. And, it had and that's how the rocket to went to glare. The bomb's bursting in air. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Major breakthrough. There's Fair. only one thing to do now.
2: Are you what is ready? It?
1: What is it? Play that saxophone.
2: Play the saxophone!
1: <laughs> Ever heard of a cardboard boxy? It's, it's kind of like an
0: armchair quarterback. It's a word we made up, and we think it fits our views of basketball pretty well. Our made up phrase means that we think and act like a manager of a team, or even the commissioner some days.
1: But we don't exactly have the bank account to follow up on our team-owning aspirations. We've got ideas and opinions about the league that change when we come up with new ones, and we may have some funny jokes. Again.
0: The important thing is we love basketball, but we also realize there are plenty of important people who make what you see on the court run smoothly. There are a lot of people who work behind the scenes to make the league the best it can be.
1: And we like to showcase them because they don't always get the credit they deserve. If you're looking for great interviews and bad jokes, you've come to the right place. So come watch with us from our cardboard box seats. Welcome back to Cardboard Box Seats. Gabe's here. Nick's here. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Ryan Schmidt. What's going on, Ryan?
2: How much? Nick and Gabe. How are you guys doing?
1: We are doing just fine. So go ahead and tell our listeners uh, uh, who you are.
2: Yeah, so uh, Ryan Schmidt, I'm currently assistant coach with the Raptors 905, uh, You know, the Toronto Raptors organization that's involved with the Chi League, as well as the head coach of the Hamilton Honey Badgers, which is in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, or otherwise was known as the CBL, Um, and just finished up my first season doing that. Um, kind of obviously a a little bit of a different scenario and and season that we had due to COVID, but, um, you know, finished up that this summer and, they now kind of, you know, kind of staying put and trying to figure out what, uh, you know, what's going to come next with the G League season. And, but I will be coaching the Hamilton team again uh, next summer.
1: That's awesome. So you're with the CEO and with the G League at the same time. We'll kind of run into that a little bit later on. But kind of tell us how you got to be at that point. Like, give us the the scenic route of your career up to this point.
2: Yeah, I, I think you know for me it started um, with playing. You know, I, I fell in love with the game of basketball at a really young age, and obviously had goals and, and aspirations of, of playing big time college basketball and making the NBA, like I think a lot of people do. And um, was fortunate enough to you know, get a, take my career to I played in high school, played in college. I got a little sniff of the professional ranks and getting drafted to at the time, the, uh, the Idaho Stampede were part of the D League in, in 2008. And, you know, so I had a, an opportunity there and, and kind of for about two or three years, tried to kind of, you know, follow the dream of, of playing professionally and, and making money doing something I've, I've enjoyed doing the rest of my life and, or for my entire life. And then at about 26, you know, I kind of had that, that moment. That I think a lot of us come to at some point in, in time and, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And so it was kind of at a crossroads of do I want to continue pursuing playing, and I obviously I knew i wasn't going to play in the NBA, and um, and, and ironically it was we had a, a family friend of ours, um, you know in Oregon, who was was running at the time a, a youth academy, and it was middle school kids, so fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and you know he kind of knew I would just gotten released from a training camp with a Stampede, and he basically. Asked me, hey, you you want to help out and, and coach this this team while like, you kind of figure thing, you know what the next move is going to be? And um, you know at the time I never, you know, in a million years, guys thought I would I would coach. It was for me, it was I wanted to play. You know, if, if all went according to my plan, I would you know play into my you know mid to late thirties and you know make money and then see what happens at, at that point. But and then maybe get into the, the the business side of sports. But when he approached me about that, it was it was something. I'm mean, yeah, I'll, I would love to do it, and help out. Um, and man, from the first practice that we had with middle school kids, I actually fell in love with it. And it was, to me, it was the teaching component of it, you know, helping, you know, helping kids and seeing the growth, like the day-to-day, the progress that they were making. And, you know, so I did that for a couple of years. And, and during that time, it was something where I started you know, figuring out, like, this is something I wanted to kind of make a, a career out of and, you know, started pursuing uh, other things as far as trying to, you know, high school jobs, um, you know. Graduate assistant positions at the division one level. And, you know, I, out of all the things I was trying to look into, you know, I kind of fell into you know, helping with the, an AAU team. Uh, coincidentally, it was out of Toronto and, and then fell into a, a head coach of a prep school job at the age of 28. And I you know, did that at, uh, we were actually, it was in Greenville, South Carolina and did that for four years and, you know, loved it. Was a, was a head coach from the age of 28 to 32. Um, kind of learned on the fly a little bit, and it was, you know, something that I, you know, it was really, it was a really valuable experience, you know, and now looking back on it, like, I know I enjoyed it at the time, but now looking back on it, it was something I I think really, it kind of made me who I am as a coach today, and, you know, something that I I really, you know, am, am blessed and fortunate to have done, and from there, actually, you know, stepped down from that position, and came back out to Oregon, which is home, and kind of actually, that was a kind of an in-between year for me, I wasn't coaching the team, but really started doing a lot of player development stuff, and working with, you know, boys and girls of all ages, from high school to college to professionals, and um, and tried to kind of figure out what the next move was going to be, uh, which ended up being, um, I ended up meeting Jerry Stackhouse um, down at the NBA Summer League a couple years prior, and just stayed in touch with him, and, that next summer, I guess would have been the summer of 2017. Um, he ended up having an opening on his staff that he thought I, you know, maybe it'd be a good fit for me. And I'll never forget it. He he told me he said, you know, it's the the pay is crappy uh, at the behind the bench position in the G League, which I think at the time didn't even exist. Um, and he kind of laid it out for me, and I said, I don't care. Like, when can I be out there? And you know, kind of went through the interview process, and you know, so that was that's what actually how I got to Toronto, and. You know, did that, coach with him for one year. He moved on to uh, to Memphis, and then we had Jamma uh, Malalela, who took over in the, the following year and, and kept me on staff. And I coached with him the, for the past two seasons, and then this last year during the season, I was approached by um, the general manager of the Hamilton Honey Badgers, who's Jermaine Anderson, and John Lashway, who's the the president, and they, you know, kind of talked to me about, Gauging my interest in, in being the head coach of the of the honey Badgers this summer and it was you know opportunity obviously I was, I was thrilled about and they couldn't you know turn turn down and went through the interview process for that and was able to land that and, and here we are.
0: Man, what a story. So head coaches and assistant coaches kind of do a lot more than people realize. Um, and since you are you're both, what uh what is a typical day look like for you as an assistant coach with the nine oh five? And then as the head coach for the honey badgers.
2: Yeah, I think for me, you know, this year was a lot of fun because you kind of had the opportunity to wear both hats for, you know, when I got the job, I found out I was, um, you know got the job with the the honey badgers in sometime in January. Cause I actually remember I, I interviewed for the job New Year's Eve, um, and then found out sometime a couple weeks later. So from, you know, January, you know, through the rest of the G league season, kind of wearing both hats, um, you know, a typical day for me, you know, as I'm, I'm a pretty early riser. Like I like to get up, you know, five 36 and and kind of start my day with a workout and it's kind of my time to just, you know, I think I kind of use it as like a self-improvement time. And I'm, I'm big as listening to podcasts. I've listened to your guys' podcast actually the other day working out, Um, you know, trying, trying (laughs) to listen, you know, whether it's other coaches or leadership podcasts, or maybe I'll, I'll have a game on and watch a game from the night before. And, you know, kind of for me, it kind of sets the tone for the day, and um, you know, from there, I'll, I'll go in. You know, obviously during the season when we're when we're pl- playing, I'll go into the office after that, and you know, start to get my work done. And, and a, a big thing of what I do as an assistant with the 905 is, you know, kind of in charge of all of our player development stuff. And you know, so I'll have guys coming in early before practice, and I'm usually on the court and working with them. And um, you know, depending on where we're at in the season and and which game is coming up, it may be a game that's you know, is my scouting responsibility. So I'll have a lot of, of prep work and, and helping us, you know, prepare for the game and, and working with our head coach, you know, to get him ready and to get our team ready. Um, and then on the, from the head coaching standpoint, man, it is, it's, it's interesting because there's so much that goes into being a head coach and, you know, no matter what level it is. And, and that's what I kinda like, kind of like I referenced back to, you know, my, my time as a prep school head coach it really helped prepare me you know for this Hamilton job that I took this last summer and you know the head coach I think your day-to-day responsibilities it, it literally covers everything from A to Z and that's you know practice planning that is um, you know planning on you know what time the, the bus is going to leave for the game what you guys are doing for the pregame meal you know, how the pregame you know, what the pregame routine looks like you know what and then obviously the game planning component who you're playing the strategies I mean everything you can think of you know, you're the one that's making the decisions and all that stuff. And as an assistant, you're, you know, giving suggestions here and there on, you know, like I said, if it's my game for a scouting report, I'm going to probably have a little bit more of a voice and a little bit more recommendations and suggestions. And, you know, but as a head coach, no matter every single game, you're the one that's making the decisions and you're working with one of the assistants who's doing the scouting reports. And um, so it, it's fun. And, you know, this last year was, was really cool because I said there was a couple months where, you know, I was – I kind of took a different perspective as an assistant with an out of five because I got new a couple months later I was going to be in a head coaching chair. So your perspective and lens, I think, kind of changed a little bit as far as like, okay, like now in, in a game or in a practice, like, you know, what would I have done a little bit differently or, or you know, how as an assistant can I make our head coach's life even easier because like I know I'm going to be in this situation. So what would I want my assistants to be doing? Um So I think, again, just kind of, the balancing act was also really cool for me because it was also um, it, it gave me some insight into what I was going to be facing in, in a couple months moving forward.
0: So what what exactly like the C E B L the the honey badgers are through that right? Yeah. So what exactly is that like? What what does that kind of look like? The C E B L like?
2: Yeah, it's uh, so it's it's a fairly new league. Uh, they just finished the second season and. You know, I was—I'll be honest. Like I—I I remember telling you know uh, Jermaine Anderson, our GM, and, and John Lashway, the the president of the team. You know, when I first heard about that the league was going to exist, I was really skeptical. And that would have been two years ago, as they were going into their inaugural season. And I think a lot of it is—you know—you see a lot of these—you know—professional leagues that don't have the backing. Like obviously, the G League is backed by the NBA, so. You know, the, the infrastructure from the, the people that are running it, so obviously the financial stability behind it, you know, that that is what pushes like these leagues. And obviously the NBA is, is a beast of its own. And um, we all know the, the money that goes into that. But when you, when you look at these lower level leagues, you know, even over in, in Europe and across the world, again, there's a lot of these things that, that, that start up and they fail right away. And I think a lot of it is because one, the number one thing is always money. Uh, and then the second thing is is the people that are involved. Um, you know how they're how they're running things. And so when it, when I first heard about it, I was really skeptical. And but you know, obviously being in in Toronto, you know, summer, you know, I knew some guys that were playing in it. And I actually went down and caught a game. It was actually in in Hamilton. I went and watched the game because we had one of our players from the nine hundred five who was playing on the team in Vancouver. And so he was out on on a road trip playing. In Hamilton, and, and right away, just walking into the arena, you could tell this is different. And you can tell that the, the what, how they were running it, it was completely different than anything that I thought it would be. Um, and and then also this season that I was a part of when when COVID hit, you know, a lot of people thought it was gonna the league was gonna fold, there wasn't gonna be a season, and you know, it was the complete opposite. I mean, the, the, the guy, the commissioner, Mike Morelli and his staff you know, did an unbelievable job of, of navigating through, you know, the amount of hurdles and stuff that they had to kind of go over and, and try to figure out how to have some sort of a season when COVID was still new to all of us. So it ended up being sort of a, a, what they call the summer series. So it was kind of like a, I guess you would kind of compare it to like the, the Olympics or, or World, world championships. So it was kind of a round robin to start. And then you moved into bracket play. Um, so obviously it was a very short season, but I think, you know, have go off to them and, and their staff for being able to make it happen. And then, you know, they also, during that whole time, like not only did we have a season, but they had a bunch of games. I want to say like half the games were t- televised nationally across Canada. Oh, wow. um, so, the, so the brand itself as a, as, a, as a league grew, you know, quite a bit over that, I think it was about a six-week period that we were doing it. Um, and now as we kind of enter the third season – you know, I think there's a lot of hype behind it. There's a lot of what we've heard from, you know, agents and players that want to be a part of it. I think a lot of it because, you know, you see a lot of these guys that are playing overseas where they had to take a, a lot of them had to take a big financial cut um, because of COVID. And, and then the G League is, you know, not is going to be a fraction of what it normally is. And it's, it's going to be a shortened season. Um, I don't think every single team is going to participate. And so you have a lot of players that when, by the time we get to April and May, which is when the season will start in in the CBL, we've already been getting. I mean, myself, our general manager, and I know other teams and coaches as well have already been getting a lot of interest from from players and agents that want to be a part of it. And a lot of that has to do with how they've you know how they've set the table the last two years. And, and like I said, my hats go off to. Us.
1: So you actually played in the D League as you mentioned before. How has that prepared you? Uh, for kind of that, that coaching mentality as well, was it an easy transition to start off with, kind of going from a player to a coach? And what are some things that you brought
2: over from being a player? Yeah, I think I, I wouldn't say it's an easy transition because I think it's you're you're definitely you know, as a player you have so much more control, um, you know, with how you're preparing for a game, um, how you're you know playing the game. And I think as a, as a player you know, the game could be, it could be a, you know, a 20 point, you could be down by 20 and, and there's a part of you that always think you have a chance to get in and as a coach, man, like you feel helpless <laughs> over on the sideline, like being down 20 and you're scared to death and you don't know what you're trying to figure out ways to, to get it close. And, you know, so I think that transition for me, you know, is I think the first thing I had to learn was the, you know, to kind of let go of a lot and, um you know, you don't have the control that you do as a player and, you know, as much as you want to, you're not going to, um, so a lot of it, what I ended up learning, a lot of it just came from, you know, the, the preparation that goes into games that goes into practices, um, and, and, just putting in the time, you know, and to learn, you know, I think, because again, playing and coaching, there's, there's so many different differences. And, um, but I think the, the thing that helped was my path as a player, um, you know, kind of being able to relate to guys, especially with where I'm at in my career now and working in the G League and, and in the CBL, where a lot of the guys that I work with are, are guys that are either trying to establish a professional career, um, you know, continue or extend, you know, a professional career. And so going through what I've gone through and, you know, I didn't, you know, didn't play much. And I, like I said, it was a very short lived career, but, you know, you deal with adversities and you understand how hard it is to, to make it at the level a lot of these guys want to play at. So that perspective, it, it kind of helps, and it helps me relate to, you know, I understand what you're going through. I, I try to do it myself, and I, I know how hard it is. Um, you know, and you got to, you know, these are the kind of things you got to do, and you got to be able to to roll with the punches and, and ride the waves a little bit. And, you know, again, I think that, that definitely helped me um, as far as, like, being relatable with a lot of players. And it, I think, too, just from a, a player development standpoint, you know, establishing those relationships and helping them because it's not something that you're just, I'm not just speaking on what I think it's been like is like no I, I, I've i been I've been cut by a, a G League team right I like, guess so I think you could be able to speak to that it really kind of gives you a, a, a different you know set of eyes or a new perspective on things that I think a lot of players might not be able to to relate to
0: yeah I feel like that definitely helps you be able to relate to your players a lot more what are like I feel like each assistant coach kind of has a different job is that right or do you guys all kind of do do the same thing, or take turns doing doing stuff? Like, what is that? What what is that? What does each assistant coach do? I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's different everywhere you go. I mean, I think every organization or team you know, is going to run things differently. And you know, with us in Toronto, it's you know, I, I think where I've been very fortunate is, is working for um, the the Raptors organization. The way that they do things has been it's been awesome in, in the sense of I've been able to do a lot and, and wear a bunch of different hats, which I think has helped, helped prepare me, you know, whether it's for the Hamilton job or, you know, whatever comes down the line for me moving forward. And, you know, for us, like, yes, I think your day to day responsibilities are, are pretty much the same as an assistant. Like you're going to, you know, you're going to work with players on the court. Um, you know, you're sometimes like we'll rotate, like we'll have you know, three, four guys that we may be you know, responsible for, I guess. And, and then maybe, you know, a month later, we may rotate just so these guys get a different voice and, and a different perspective from a different coach. And, um, you know, and then you're all, all going to have scouting report and game preparation that you're going to be responsible for. Um, and then the other cool thing for us, which I've really enjoyed these last two years, is we kind of rotate responsibilities as far as offense, defense, uh, what we consider special team, which is kind of, you know, end of game situations, end of quarters, all that based on out of bounds, sideline out of bounds. Uh, and then player development. So there's four different areas um, and we have, cause we have four assistant coaches and then we would rotate every, I think it was every eight games. So I may have the offense for the first eight games. And so what I'm doing for those eight games is I'm, you know, a lot of my suggestions going into practice is, Hey, we need to work on getting better at this, this, and this, you know, before the next game, because maybe it's, you know, maybe it's our screening or maybe it's our decision-making or whatever it might be that tour, I'm kind of having a focused lens on just the offense. Um, and the same thing with all the other areas. And then we kind of rotate. So eight games later, now maybe I'm on defense. And so I'm kind of specializing in that specific area for just those games, um, which is really cool because again, just kind of, and I've used this word a lot, you know, perspective and, and the lens you're looking through things Um but I think also too, in the way that the, the professional game, you know, the NBA is going a lot as you see a lot of coaches and teams now kind of going with the football model of having offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. Um, and so I think to kind of, you know, kind of be focused on one area, I think it just kind of, it helps the head coach, I think quite a bit because then, you know, he's, going to just talk with the one person. Now, again, we'll sit in staff meetings and, and, you know, again, if I'm on defense, I, I can still give offensive suggestions and, you know, same way with everybody else. But I think, again, just doing it this way, um, again, it's not, it's not for, like, it's the right thing to do. But I think the cool thing about it is our, you know, Jam, our head coach, wanted to do this to, I think, help make us better. And that's something that, you know, I'm forever grateful working for him. It's It's been, you know, a huge blessing and for him to be able to do that, um, I think speaks volumes to who he is as a coach and as a person. Because you know, you don't, you could you know, a lot of coaches want to say, "Hey, look, this person's doing the offense, and they're doing it the entire season, and this person's doing the defense." But to be able to rotate and then be able, to, like I said, wear a bunch of different hats in one season, um, you know, has definitely helped me as a coach.
0: Have you ever gotten the chance to to be the head coach for maybe one of the games or anything like that?
2: No, you know what, man, it's uh, it's pretty funny you ask that because. We were, um, we were talking about down the stretch, depending, cause we were, we were playing really well. Um, you know, I think we were two or three games out of the playoffs with like six games to go or something like that. Um, but we were playing, like we, you know, kind of were down and out. We had a bunch of injuries this year and, you know, the G league dynamic is pretty interesting because, you know, your roster constantly is changing, whether that's guys coming up and down from the main team or, you know, guys getting contracts to go play overseas or getting called up the NBA. Um, or, you know, and obviously injuries are a big part of, you know, anyone's season. But, um, so we actually kind of, you know, hit a slump, um, early, I think it was early on in the season and kind of dug ourselves a hole. By the time we were getting toward the end of the season, you know, we were playing extremely well. I mean, I think we won like 10 out of 12 games. Um, but, but the conversation started happening because we thought we were going to maybe be out of the playoffs to where, um, you know, Jamma was talking about, hey, like if we are out of the playoffs, you know, leading up to where we have maybe three games left, um, I'm going to let you guys coach a game each. And <laughs> and then obviously, as, as we kind of got closer, one, we were winning. So it was looking less and less like that was going to happen because I think by the way we were playing, I, I liked our chances of getting in the playoffs. Um, but then on top of that, you know, then, then COVID hit and the season was, was cut short. <laughs>
1: Oh man! Hey, well, at least you got a head coach uh for the the Honey Badgers.
2: Yeah. yeah, no. So I, at least I I got some reps at it later on. Absolutely. So talking about your time with the uh, the Raptors nine
1: hundred five, was there any overlap with uh, Pascal Siakam or Fred Van VanVleet while
2: you were there, Or while they were there, rather? No, not with the nine hundred five. So I was. So I came in the year after, um, but those guys spent a lot of time. So that was uh, Coach Stackhouse's first year. When they won the championship. And yeah, Fred and Pascal were were a big part of that. Um, So, no, unfortunately, I wasn't able to work with them, you know, hands on with the 905. But, you know, and again, a big part of my my job with the 905 and, and the Raptors is during the summer, I'm pretty involved with a lot of their player development stuff. And, you know, so I've had the opportunity to work with those guys and see them up close. And, I mean, man, what a, you know, a credit to both of those guys. I mean, you see the contracts that they. That they signed, you know, respectfully out of, uh, you know, the last two years. And again, it's no secret. I mean, these guys are two of the hardest workers, you know, that I've been around and I've seen kind of from afar. You know, I've obviously had, I haven't been around them on a day to day basis, but you know, when you kind of get a sneak peek behind the curtain every now and then, um, just to see the work that both those guys put in. Um, but the thing that stood out to me with both of them is, is just the kind of people they are and, you know, they treat people with the ultimate respect and, high character guys and great guys to be around. And it's been a lot of fun watching their progression and growth, you know, in my time in Toronto. And, um, and again, I, I think also too, going back to their time with the 905, you know, as soon as I got there, it was the year after both of them were there and you, you kind of really quickly find out, you know, that the bar sets pretty high when it comes to, you know, the, the way that the Raptors, you know, have their, their player development and how they do things and, so to me, it was exciting because, you know, you the year that I got there was you started to see those two were on the court with the main team now and contributing. And, and again, a lot of people started talking about, you know, their their time and experience, the 905, how it kind of propelled them into to where they were then and then obviously where they are now.
0: So you said you do some stuff for the 905 during the summer, um, but isn't that when the Honey Badgers play? So is there is it hard to kind of like balance back and forth those two?
2: Yeah, you know, so this year was—I mean, 2020, as we all know, has been a, a pretty unique year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, it was kind of there was no—I I didn't do anything with them this summer just because of, of of the COVID pandemic. And but the the two summers prior, you know, I was I was fortunate to where I was able to spend a lot of time and you know I was participating in um, you know, all of the mini camps we did during the summer and, and was was helping out. I was on staff with a summer league team. Um, so, and again, and then just in Toronto, like we, you know, guys coming in, you know, during the week and working out. So yeah, I was, I was able to help out with a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, this summer, if, if COVID never had happened, um, a a big thing that I was, you know, that I did kind of ahead of time was, you know, basically planning out how I was going to be able to balance, you know, to do both of them. Because obviously, you know, having the, the obligations on the Raptor side, as well as the, as the Hamilton team, you know, I was going to make that was kind of a, a, a non-negotiable in order for me to, to accept the job was to, to basically find the balancing act of being able to do both. Um, and again, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however we want to put it, like obviously the, the COVID kind of wiped everything out. And so I was able to just kind of focus on the Hamilton team because once the NBA got back up and running, they have you know, they went down to the bubble and, um, that was it.
1: So th- this is a question
2: that we like to ask a lot of
1: our um, overseas players, but in this case it'd be international coach. Um, what, what are some of the differences that you see between the CEBL and the G league when it comes to like fan participation, just kind of overall atmosphere. And I know you mentioned a little bit earlier because the CEBL was kind of, um, starting up essentially. Um, but have you noticed any real big differences between those two organizations?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, in my time in Canada, um, you know, specifically the last three years, it's been really cool to see just, you know, the, the game of basketball and the growth that it's had. Um, you know, I, I kind of talked about earlier in my kind of you guys are asking about my, my past so far. Like I was helping out an AAU team out of Toronto and I was back in 2000, and I think, 12. And so that was kind of when you started seeing a lot of these big name at the time. High school guys were going off to college that are now in the NBA. Um, you know, your, your Tristan Thompson, your Dylan Brooks. Um, now it's obviously it's, you know, Jamal Murray and so forth. And, you know, those, those guys were all kids back then and playing in, in high school and going on to college and, and to now see kind of where they're, they're at as professionals. You know, the game has just grown so much in the country. And then obviously with the Raptors winning the championship two years ago, uh, that was an unbelievable experience because you saw an entire, not just a city, but an entire country come together and, you know, being a part, I was, you know, on one of the floats for the, the championship parade and, you know, they were saying there was over 2 million people in, in the downtown streets of Toronto and, you know, some of the pictures I have on my phone and it, it's crazy because you literally cannot, like, it's just, it's a sea of people um, and so to see, you know, and again, I remember, um, I should kind of backtrack a little bit, the, a funny story, my wife and I, when we first, we first moved up to, to Toronto once I got the job, we, moved into our apartment and it was actually because, you know, the M league starts a little bit later than um, the NBA. So we actually got up there and then I think our first night up there was NBA, the opening night of the NBA. And so, you know, we're, as you know, we've all done before when you move your, you got to get your, your TV and cable set up, you got to get everything set up. So we didn't have internet cable. And so we ended up going to watch a game like the, the I wanted to watch the, the opening night game. So there was a sports bar um, down the street from where we were living we walked down there and we walked in and on every single TV was a hockey game. <laughs> and I remember looking at her, and I said, where the hell are we? And, and we, so we kind of laughed about it. And so again, it's just, it's a hockey country. Um, and so again, then, you know, two years later, you know, the, the Raptors win an NBA championship and there's, you know, two, two and a half million people or whatever the number was, you know, in the streets of Toronto. And, um, but now that I know in a long winded way of answering your question, you know, the CBL, unfortunately, we didn't have fans this year because of, of COVID. Um, but when I was able to go down in the first year and then from what it sounds like, just the, you know, the, the growth and the um, fan support, even with um, no fans allowed this year. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what it's going to be like this summer, because I think, you know, as, as a country, the, the game has really grown. Um, the CBL as a league has really kind of taken off. I think getting those those games on national television this last summer really helped. And so, from the sounds of it, I think you know with a lot of the teams that I'm hearing so far with the season ticket sales already, you know, pretty high, like way higher than it were that it was in year one. Um, I think the fan support is 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 growing quite a bit. And and in the G League, I, I would I can say just from three years of experience, you know, traveling around to all the other. G League teams, you know, we've we've got one of the best um, attendance, you know, I think records in the in the league and, and consistently night in and night out. You have a pretty good um, pretty good support system with the amount of people that come. Obviously, sometimes when we play during the weeknights, you know, on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock that's not gonna be, you know, super full, but you know, it's so a lot of times on with we have weekend games, um, you know, Friday nights or Saturdays or even Sunday. Um, you know, we've got we've got a really good turnout which is pretty rare in the G League.
0: So you've been living a lot in, in like the north. You must really like the cold.
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I can say I like the cold, um, but I will say, man, being being from Oregon, the one thing that I actually do like a lot more is even though it's cold, it's at least still blue sky and sunny. And yeah, I'm sure as you guys, know, yeah, I'm sure as you guys know, in the in the Northwest, there's a lot of gray, and dreary days when it comes to the winter.
0: I guess that's that's a big plus. <laughs> um so with a lot of colleges or uh like a lot of athletes moving away from going to college and maybe entering the g league do you see like the g league becoming more vi- like a viable opportunity for those players who kind of don't want to maybe bypass college and all the red tape through the ncaa
2: yeah i think so i think you know it's it's really interesting as, as we're gonna find out here this season um you know with the g league the the ignite team they're calling is the a team that has, I think it's like six high school kids or previously high school kids mixed in with um, some veteran players, and you know I think a lot of it's going to depend on on seeing how these guys do. You know I think the one thing that um, you know is, is definitely different is you know you're you're now getting paid to play, and I know those guys got paid pretty well um, to take this path, and I'm excited for them. I think you know obviously you look at the resources that, have, that are available to those guys, um, the coaching staff. I mean to have Brian Shaw. And, you know, all of his experience that he's bringing to the table to have that to have him as, as their head coach to kinda again help help prepare these guys and help navigate their careers and, and get their their career started. Not only can you ask for a, a better person and along with the staff he's put together. So I'm I'm excited. I'm interested to see how it goes. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, they they these guys are now playing against grown men and they're playing against guys who are, you know, anywhere from twenty three to twenty eight and sometimes even in their thirties that these guys are you know, these are now guys that are fighting, you know, to stay, you know, playing and to keep money in their pocket, and, you know, so it's a, it's a whole different beast, um, you know, what these guys are getting ready to walk into, but I think, I think for them, it's, it's going to kind of, you know, fast forward their development a little bit, because, you know, they're basically being thrown in the deep end of the pool, and it's kind of a sink or swim type thing, and, you know, based on what I'm hearing about the the talent level and the kind of you know, players that they are, and the kind of you know guys that they are, uh, I think a lot of them are gonna are gonna swim. and And I think once the NBA draft comes and and once these guys have the opportunity and whoever picks them, you know, I, I know the one thing that's gonna be for sure is that these guys are gonna be ready to go. and There's not the learning curve is not gonna be as steep as as you're gonna have with a lot of these college guys coming in, even the high highly drafted college kids, because. You know, you're you're learning the NBA system. You're playing against it, you know guys who have been in the NBA or are trying to get back in the NBA. So I think just that that experience alone is gonna you know put them you know a, a step or two ahead of, of guys that are coming out of you know university at the NCAA level. Absolutely, I agree with a lot of what you were talking about
1: for sure. So now we're gonna transition into this hot seat question segment. And you did mention that you listened to a couple of our episodes before, so you kind of know what to expect. Um, but for our new listeners we're going to explain to them just real quick we have not given you uh, some of these questions actually we haven't given you any of these questions Um, and we want you to answer from your gut and honestly and truthfully and every other synonym for honestly and truthfully so nick's (laughs) going to start us off
0: all right first question outside of basketball what do you like to do for fun
2: Outside of basketball, what do I like to do for fun? Um, I'm a big workout guy, man. I've, I've kind of gotten into the, you know, obviously from playing, Um, you know, I still spend a lot of time, you know, working out, staying in shape, and it's something my wife and I actually like to do together quite a bit. So, you know, I would say it's not, again, it, it, I guess it kind of relates to basketball, but it, it's not basketball.
1: We'll count it, count it. Which
2: of all of your seasons has been your favorite season so far? Ooh, That's a tough one. I would say... I would say this one, actually. I think for me, it was, there were so many things that happened. And what I mean by this season was the 905 season along with the first, you know, my first season as a Hamilton head coach, because it, again, it was the 905 season was kind of cut short. And then the the Hamilton season was obviously was a a short season as well. But again, I don't, I think, you know, hopefully fingers crossed that we never have to endure something like this again, like we have in 2020. But because of everything that kind of happened, like I, you know, the, the experience that, that I've had through it and what I've learned, um, you know, it's something I'll take with me forever.
0: All right. What has been the strangest on court interaction you've had with a fan or a player?
2: I haven't had any awkward, um, interactions. Like I've definitely seen some, like I've seen, um, I can't remember what city we were in. We were playing and we were on the road in the G league and, there was a fan that I think had had a little bit too much to drink, and again and then it's pretty easy, easy to notice these guys on a lot of Gili is because there's no one there. Um and he was like you talk about Heckling and he just again he I, he was embarrassing himself and so it wasn't an interaction that any of that I had or any of our players, but definitely a memorable one that I'll, I'll always remember that the guy was just making a fool out of himself.
1: So. <laughs> so moving
2: forward, where do you see yourself in let's say five years? Hey I man, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. I think for me, I don't know. I don't, you know, kind of, I, I don't set the, the bar as far as where I want to be. I think for me, and I don't want this to sound cliche by any means, but you know, I hope in five years, like I'm just uh, a better coach. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully my path wherever I'm at, you know, is, is a byproduct of how I've done things in the, in the other places that I've been and you know, how I've treated people and, and you know, what I've done with you know, helping players get better and, and hopefully winning games along with that. But, I think ultimately for me, like I, you know, I want to be a, a either an MBA assistant coach or potentially even a, a college head coach. I think, and I think a lot of us, you know, obviously, the, and being an NBA head coach is the ultimate dream. But you know, there's only 30 of those jobs, and it, it's pretty tough to get anything any job at the NBA as is. So, again, I just try to, you know, try to get better every single day, and, and I'm enjoying my my experience, and it's been fun so far.
0: We ask this question a lot. Um, so you, you might, might've heard it before. Um, Adam Silver hands you the keys and you are now the commissioner. What, what, what's one thing you do?
2: Ooh, you guys are really putting, putting it on me. Here. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't know. I would probably hand the keys back to him, man. This guy, is like, <laughs> I think he, I think he is like the greatest sports commissioner, um, you know, in our time. And I think every, you know, from my time in any square, I think he's done a heck of a job and um, everything that he's done, and I don't know if I'd want to take those keys, to be honest with you.
1: That's probably a safe bet. So if you thought the last question was hard, listen to this one. Let's say if all the mascots in the NBA or G League partook in a Hunger Games of sorts, which mascot do you think would be the last mascot
2: standing? Well, the Raptor. <laughs> Really, I, I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good options. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of good options. I think you got. I don't think you can go wrong with the Raptors, though. That's true. That's true. I definitely agree with that. As as Hornets fans, we're we're out within like the first five or six seconds. Buzz.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes.
0: Have you ever looked at one of your players and thought, "Man, I can take them in a one on one any day, any time."
2: Oh no! Not not only have I have I looked, you know, we we've had some battles, man. We got a lot of a lot of guys. They like to test test me a little bit here and there, and so we've we've I've had some fun with quite a few of them. So last question: favorite podcasts besides ours? Favorite podcast besides yours? I would say, I mean, probably the one that I listen to the most um, is, or the two I would say probably are uh, the Woge Pod and um also jj reddick's pod which he's which he's changed up probably like three or four times but um yeah i think i think he does a good job and i I like the um you know the variety of guests that he brings on i i actually jj is
1: one of my favorite podcasts too especially since he's changed it to the old man of the three i feel like
2: he definitely has more creative control over it i know i'm geeking out a little bit but his guests have been yeah, no, I think that's exactly, I think he's, you know, obviously he's got the basketball side of it, but I mean, he, he even gets in the, you know, the political side and, uh, you know, Hollywood with actors and stuff. I think, yeah, I, I think he does a really good job. And um, I know, it's definitely something I've enjoyed. And it's been cool too, even like, because during the the COVID stuff and the quarantine, I mean, he was pumping them out like crazy. It yeah. was fun.
1: He had a lot of time on his hands. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It has been a pleasure talking uh with you about the G League and the C E B L the form the uh, the newly formed league
2: in Canada. And uh yeah, thanks for sharing your time with us. No, I appreciate you guys, it was a lot of fun, thank you.